Welcome to I Wish They Knew, a show where leaders in business and education share big ideas that deserve more attention in about the time it takes to enjoy a cup of coffee. I'm Joe Hirsch. Oscar Trimboli is on a quest to create 100 million deep listeners. He's the host of the Apple award-winning podcast, Deep Listening, has worked with and for some of the most admired brands in the world, and is the author of How to Listen, Discover the Hidden Key to Better Communication. I have just finished the book, and my listening will never be the same. Oscar, welcome to the show. G'day, Joe. Looking forward to listening to your questions today. So what do you wish more people knew? I wish people knew that as important as it is to listen to what people say, it's more important to listen to what they haven't said. When you understand the difference between thinking speed and speaking speed, you'll take a little bit more time to ask an extra question and discover what they haven't said, which leads you to what they mean rather than what they say the first time. So when we speak to people in conversation, many of us, I certainly am included in this, are always thinking about what I'm going to say next and not necessarily listening intently to that, to that space that you just described, the unsaid parts of what they really mean. How can we get a little bit better at that? And, and perhaps this is where maybe you can unpack for us what you mean by deep listening. Yeah, I think active listening and listening in general you're very fixated and focused on the on the speaker and you're very focused on understanding exactly what they're saying and you are trying to make sense of that that's handy it's not transformational it's not powerful it's not a state at which the speaker goes gee i feel heard wow joe really listened to me today wow my thinking progressed on this issue. So when it comes to active listening, we're listening to what people say. And when it comes to deep listening, we're noticing what people don't say. And when we think about that, I'd love to unpack five different levels in the way people listen. And I mentioned earlier on that listening to the speaker and what they say and trying to make sense of it is handy. Most people don't realize the first person you need to listen to is yourself. That's level one in the listening. Mm -hmm. Level two is listening to the content, what people say, what you see, their body language, their emotion. That's level two. That's the content. And as we move from level one and two, where we're listening to things, we move to level three, four, and five, where we're listening for things and we're listening for the speaker. And we're listening at level three for the context. We're, we're listening for the backstory, the way they use language. At level four, we're listening for what they haven't said. A quick commercial break from the neuroscience of listening. 125 to 150 is the average speaking speed, yet the average thinking speed can range from 900 words a minute to 1,600 words per minute. So the very first thing somebody says is about 14% of what they're thinking about. And if they're in more complex environments at 1,600 words, it's probably 5% of what they're thinking about. So don't gamble with only 14% of what they're thinking. Explore a little bit further with what's unsaid. Mm -hmm. 
And then at level five, we're listening to what they mean rather than merely what they say. So a quick summary, level one, listen to yourself. Level two is the content. Level three is the context. Level four is the unsaid. And level five is listening to what they mean. And this is all in an effort to help uncover for the person you're speaking with what they're really trying to say. And it's almost like you're listening with the intent to help them find greater meaning in the conversation. And to progress the conversation as well. Uh, listening's like dancing. It requires two people. It requires a group of people possibly dancing together. And there's three positions in any dialogue. There's the speaker's position, there's the listener's position, and then there's the dialogue itself, this abstracted third position. That is the purpose of the conversation and what we are trying to progress. One simple question we know working with the deep listening ambassadors who are on this quest for 100 million deep listeners in the world, the, the research group that are helping me understand what's working for them. And we have been tracking this group, 1,410 people for the best part of four years now. And this simple question at the beginning of any conversation will help create a compass setting for everybody to keep the conversation on track. And the question is this, what will make this a great discussion? Ask that question ideally before the conversation even takes place when it's scheduled rather than right at the beginning of the conversation. But if you don't have time, just ask that question at the beginning. I caution you not to say what will make this a great conversation for you, that little for you at the end of the conversation tends to make people selfish and repetitive and insular in the way they express the idea. We want to understand what will make this a great discussion. Hopefully they'll ask you the opposite question, Joe. Hopefully they'll ask you what will make this a great discussion for you. But I mentioned it's a compass. If it's an hour conversation, every 15 minutes, just check in. Joe, at the beginning of this conversation, you said this would make it a great conversation. How are we going? And paths will diverge at that point. People might say, hey, Joe, you know what? I've got everything I need. I'm good. Anything else you want to cover off? So a lot of people in our, in our research group report that workplace conversations are much shorter. The other thing they say at that point, Joe, is, hmm, now that I've thought about it, I haven't even talked about this. And all of a sudden, they expand what they think and start going towards what they mean. So that simple question, the shorter the question, usually the, the more insightful it is for the speaker. We want to progress the conversation for them, for you, and for the dialogue. A lot of people say, Joe, listening is hard. <laughs> but if you do it this way, it's really light and easy and energetic. I'm, I'm curious for you, Joe, is listening light and easy or is it hard and draining for you? Well, after reading How to Listen, I would say it's definitely a lighter lift. Um, but, <laughs> but, but I will say this, Oscar, I, I find still that despite my best intentions to be in service to the person with whom I'm speaking and to be in service to mm. that conversation and that goal, I find myself getting in my own way. And I think for many others out there, they may be falling into what you call the four villains of listening. These basically um, 
self-sabotaging acts that we do that interfere with really good listening, with deep listening. Can you tell us about them? Yeah, the four villains of listening are the dramatic, the interrupting, the lost and the shrewd listening villains. Each of these emerged from researching over two and a half thousand people that we knew and two and a half thousand people that we didn't know in a research and the labels that are associated with these characteristics uh, all emerge from the way the speaker described the listener. The dramatic listener really wants to form connection. Unfortunately, when they're in a conversation with you and you say, oh, I'm really struggling with my manager, they're not turning up to my one-on-ones, they're not paying attention, they'll jump in and try and form a connection and go, I know exactly what you mean. Let me tell you about the worst manager I ever had. And in that moment, they move the spotlight in the conversation away from the initial speaker to themselves. And the speakers in the research group will say, it's all about them. It's all about them. The second one is the interrupting listener. They value time. Now, productivity is really crucial to them. They're like a quiz show contestant that presses the buzzer before the host has even finished. They answer the wrong question. As a result, they create friction. Or more importantly, they solve a problem that the speaker's already considered and they were looking for another perspective. The lost listener is lost in two ways with internal and external distraction. Uh, they may be lost because they've been invited to a meeting and they're not quite sure why they've been invited, but they're very polite. The speaker sees them as vague, disconnected, and that polite listener should simply ask the question, what role would you like me to play in the meeting or some version of that? And all of a sudden, with purpose, they're not going to get distracted by electronic devices. They're not going to appear vague and connected with their own thoughts. Daydreamers is another way the speakers describe them. The final one is the shrewd listening villain. Now, bear in mind, listening is situational, it's relational, and it's contextual. So you'll listen differently in different situations. And for me, I'm a shrewd listening villain. I, I show up as shrewd in my work, and shrewd listening villains are problem-solving machines. They're very engaging listeners. Hmm, yeah, mm, tell me more about that. But what the speaker says is, I can see they're trying to fix me. I can see the cogs going on in their mind as they're trying to solve me. And the shrewd listening villain is not only solving the current problem, they're jumping ahead, two, three, four problems. These uh, listening villains disproportionately represented in any kind of support profession, accounting, legal, human resources, IT, any person who sells a product or a service. In the medical profession, the shrewd listening villain we see shows up disproportionately. Uh, I'm curious which one of those resonates most for you, Joe, when you're having conversations at work. Well, in my work as a speaker and consultant, I definitely find myself falling into the shrewd listener category where I'm engaged, but I'm also ready <laughs> with the solution. And so I've been actually stopping to think not about fixing, but framing the problem for the other person. And that has actually been very impactful for them and for me. Uh, uh, tell me more about framing. It's trying to help set up the problem a little more, not for them, but with them. 
and mm. allowing them the space to unpack the issue um, and really try to see it in a way that only they can. And have you explored silence a little bit more in that context? I have, because silence to me is absolutely part of the conversation. Right? And that's one of the points you make in the book. And um, that space, that silent space is actually ripe with meaning and understanding. I think that is where great revelations actually take place in the silence. Mm. And my encouragement and invitation to you listening is treat silence like a word. Listen to the beginning, the middle, and the end of silence, and different meaning will emerge, not just for the speaker, but also for the dialogue you're trying to progress as well. So Oscar, after spending all this time uh, researching and, and living with, with listening, what surprised you the most? Two things surprised me the most. The, the first one is how little I know about listening. <laughs> uh, despite decades of uh, research and consulting and working with folks and writing and publishing interviews and all this. Uh, what I know now compared to a decade ago is I know less about listening than I did when I started off with. And I think that's a wonderful place for someone in my profession to be. Just, just be, just be a, a little bit more curious. The book is How to Listen and the master listener is Oscar Trimboli. Oscar, thank you for sharing your wish with us today. Thanks for listening, Joe. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, please rate and review the show. It helps others find us. For more ideas on how to communicate with impact, visit my website, joehirsch.me. See you next time.